Welcome back to the Walk Run Podcast. This is episode 15. And before I start anything, I just want to go ahead and apologize for the long delay between this episode and the last episode that came out. Uh, it's been crazy. I needed a new computer. I was moving house. It's conference season, and I've just been everywhere. And I've been really, really busy, and I haven't had time to sit down and record an episode. Thankfully, I had the opportunity to sit down with Nathaniel Urshan, and we discussed some great topics about the Bible, his early pastoring years, and some other informative topics that you will hear. Uh, without further ado, thank you for coming, thank you for listening, and enjoy this episode with Nathaniel Urshan. Uh, this week, uh, for this episode, episode 15, we have Brother Nathaniel Urshan, and it's an honor to have him on, be talking with him, and I'm super excited. Uh, so, Brother Urshan, thank you for coming on. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself. Man, it's great to be with you. I um, My name is Nathaniel Urshan. I am a pastor in Durham, North Carolina. I have... I have a wonderful wife. I have two sons and a daughter-in-law. And um, I pastor a great church here in Durham, North Carolina. I have pastored a few other churches before. I pastored in Fort Myers, Florida. I pastored in South Haven, Mississippi, which is a southern suburb of Memphis, Tennessee. And I pastored a church in Roatan, Honduras for a year. Wow. I um. I have a bachelor's and master's degree. It's my educational background. I'll be pursuing a PhD here in the next 12 months. So, uh, yeah, that's a snapshot. That's interesting. That's cool. So uh, before we moved on, I want, I, I was wondering if you could describe uh, your degrees and like what they are. Uh, break, break, uh, just real quickly break them down and see, so we can see what kind of degrees they are and how they've assisted you and impacted you in your ministries. Yeah, I my undergrad work, my bachelor's degree is in human development with an emphasis on education. Um, it was a therapy slash education degree, and I I have a foundation in therapy, but I wound up concentrating in education, so I took the mm-hmm. educational track rather than the therapeutic track. Um, then my master's degree is in Christian ministry from Hope International University, and um, I will be starting the uh, PhD in Birmingham, England next year, and that will be uh, a PhD in in um, theology. So. It's helped me quite a bit in that it's given me a theological framework. It's given me the ability to handle material and to think objectively, to perform research, to write. And really, I wanted to pursue that to help the apostolic world uh, clearly articulate the apostolic doctrine to strengthen this next generation coming up. And I suspect that with our government making the decisions that it is, we're going to need educated people to have the credentials to, to help our young people and our children going forward. So Mm -hmm. I hope to be able to do that. That is a very, um, amiable goal. Uh, I think that's a very good point. Um, being educated so you can articulate what you need to articulate in argument. That's a very, um, good 
good way of taking it. That's not the answer I expected. That's really, really neat, actually, um, why you've pursued in, in things. Um, so another uh, thing I wanted you to explain uh, as far as your ministry goes is you come from a very prestigious family in our movement. And I wanted to see how, when you were growing up, how did you find your identity? How did you find yourself and your ministry um, become unique as a person, even though you have so much uh, lineage behind you? Yeah, it's a very good question. There's a, a famous writer who made a statement one time. He said, and this resonated with me as a young man, he said that ships don't sail on yesterday's wind. Meaning, you can't coast on what your grandfather or your father or your relatives have done. You have got to strike out in the direction you're going to go in, and God has to do the work for you. So, I. I I had a tough time as a teenager finding my way because when you're raised with the apostolic faith and you have opportunities given to you, many times you don't know what they are worth. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you know, if you have things handed to you, oftentimes you don't realize the value of them. And so I, I was like that. I, I, I fought to find out who I was and to find a walk with God on my own. Probably one of the greatest things that helped me with that was starting a church. I I planted a church when I was 22 years of age, and I pastored that church for 15 years. It's in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor Randy Williams pastors that church now. Mm -hmm. And digging a church out forced me to develop a relationship with God at a level that I don't know that I could have done it if everything had just been handed to me. So. That was probably the most formative thing that helped solidify me in in my faith. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I I I like how you um you found yourself through ministry instead of waiting to find yourself and then start. That's uh, something that I can take from instead of waiting for it to fall into my hands. Just step out and do what you need to do. You know, that's actually that's a, very, a, very... a very scriptural principle. When um, when Jesus called people, he called people that were already doing things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he calls his disciples, they're already casting their nets into the sea. When, when Elijah called Elisha and threw the mantle over his shoulders, he was already plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Each time you see somebody that God calls, they were working, they were busy, they were active. And so I mm-hmm. think that mission and activity is a huge part of personal development. It takes things from a theoretical, abstract mind exercise, and it puts them into practicality. And you go, oh, wow, that's why my grandpa did that. That's why my dad did that. Mm-hmm. You get it for yourself. Yeah. Um, I've definitely learned from experience, at least in music and in school, I've learned that I learned from experience in doing things and I learned from mistakes. So I know what not to do. Um, even though generally for whatever reason, I tend to look for what I need to do 
when I'm learning something, even though I know about myself that I know I learned from mistakes. Sure. So that's just something that I've learned about myself. And you demonstrated that there, that you, and according to the biblical principle, that you learn from your mistakes and learn from being busy and you learn more about yourself. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. It's a big deal. I even believe that young adults should always be involved in some kind of missional thing, whether it's helping out a church in another country or helping out a home missions church or helping out your bus ministry team or your Bible study team. It is crucially important to get active because all Mm -hmm. the Bible knowledge, all the prayer, all the camp meetings and conferences, all that stuff, that's great. It's, It's meant to instruct you, but you don't grow until you put it into action. Um, that's even why it's called the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to have action, man. And I'm afraid too many people wait. If I had waited on something to happen or somebody to hand me something or waited for an opportunity, I never would have done what I've done. So I'm a big advocate of that. For sure. 100%. Get active and Find something to do. There's always something you do. Mm-hmm. We've discussed it before on this podcast and just find what you need to do and, and do it and make an impact no matter where you are or what you're doing um, somewhere else. Um, as far as that goes, you said you've pastored. And so I wanted to ask you how you pr- prepare or deliver a message. Uh, some Some ministers have described to me how they'll preach a story and then tie the multiple points in that story to show their point. And others have established a point and they pull from different stories to reinforce their point. Mm -hmm. So how do you personally uh, put what you have in your head into words? And how do you, how is your style generally when you are delivering and preparing a message? Well, uh, there's probably two ways. What, What you're describing is called inductive and deductive delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, when a person has one point and then they branch off of that point, um, it is a deductive thing where you are stating a thing, your main point, your main premise, and then you're pulling illustrations and thoughts and points off of that. You are deducing things. An inductive thing is when, when you are drawing, you're working the other way. You are coming from all the different points to the main point, which is at the very end. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an inductive way of preaching. Um, I'm probably more in line with stating the main point and then drawing the principles from there. I like to state my case, articulate what I'm saying, and then point, pull out my points to illustrate what I'm talking about. That's probably my primary way of teaching. I can do it the other way. I enjoy it the other way. But my, my primary way of doing it is to state my main thing and then support it with illustrations, stories, and principles. Mm-hmm. So as far as that goes, some people will may want to be uh, start preaching or they feel called to preach. And it may seem intimidating because there's so much you need to learn and so much you need to know, like all these stories you want to pull from. 
And so it may be intimidating that you feel unworthy or maybe not uh, talented enough or uh, I'm, I'm missing the word. Uh, you may not feel ready enough to pull from the word to, to speak or to preach. And what do you say to the people that have this trouble that are starting and just don't have the confidence that they know the word well enough in order to preach or speak for the first time or for the first years into their new ministry? I would say feeling inadequate is a common thing. Look at the people who felt inadequate in the Bible. Moses did. David did. King Saul did. A lot of great leaders felt inadequate in Scripture. And I certainly understand that. I have wrestled with that. I would say the more you qualify yourself, the more equipped you will be to come. First of all, you have to have a calling. God has to call you. Once he's Mm -hmm. done that, once you feel confident in your calling, then read and pray, read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. And when you think you have read and prayed enough, go back and read and pray some more. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no substitute for getting the base of knowledge of the scripture into your heart. So for about 10 years, I read the Bible I'd read a minimum of three chapters a day, sometimes five, oftentimes 10 chapters a day. And I just read it over and over and over and over and over until the body of Scripture got into my heart. I knew Mm -hmm. it. I could almost tell you when someone would quote, I could finish the quote. When someone would read a Scripture, I could finish quoting it. I could tell you where it was located, um, oftentimes to the book, the chapter, and the verse. And that's crucial. The scripture has to become an extension of you. And if a person's not willing to invest that kind of time, an hour to two hours, if if not more, per day in studying the word of God, then they're going to they're going to always feel that inadequacy. So scripture says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. If we step into that arena and we are not prepared, we will be ashamed. Satan will come against us. People will will test us. Um, and people fall into false doctrine because, because they don't have that foundation. So first of all, get, get it in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have got it in your heart, then, then begin to teach. I teach my young ministers to go out and teach Bible studies, learn to speak to people one-on-one, share the gospel with them, learn to win souls. You know, you, it's so much easier to speak to an audience of one than it is to an audience of 10 or 50 mm-hmm. or 100 or 1,000. So I encourage people to go out and begin to put it into action. And in doing that, you begin to develop. You gain experience. You gain confidence. And you do it in a small, humble setting. You don't do it under the bright lights. The bright lights will come. If you'll put in the time in private and in preaching the gospel on an individual basis with people, mm-hmm. uh, once you've done that, once you begin to feel confident with that, you are receiving things from God. You are developing your gift. And 
when you've done that, you will then have something to preach. You won't just be preaching something you got from a book. You will be preaching something you are doing, you are acting out that is happening in your life. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, you can't give something that you don't have. And you have to first have it before you can give it. And I don't know. I made up my mind. I didn't ever want to get in the pulpit and and preach something that I heard somebody else say or something that I just mentally understood. I wanted to preach something that was active in my life. Mm-hmm. So before Moses ever brought the people the commandments, he had to go up into the mountain. He had to get them. And I like to teach ministers to go up to the mountain. That's another way of saying pray, read your Bible, get involved in ministry, activate. When you go up into the high places and God deals with you, he gives you things. He gives you powerful principles. You then can come back and you can give them to the people. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's the best foundation. It, it has a way of eliminating fear and doubt and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So I would, if you don't mind, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Um, as far as studying and reading, um, because I've found I'll read and I'll, at least for myself, and I often find myself doing my reading for the day and or reading my chapters for the day, and I'm not really learning anything. It often goes over my head. Um, and so I don't, sometimes I won't understand what I'm reading or I don't know how to define what I'm reading. And so I was wondering if you could, uh, elaborate on that and show us how you organize your time in devotions and maybe some tips you've picked up over time or the mindset that people when approaching to read the Bible, they should have, uh, all in all, just how do you suggest learning how to study over time? I think picking a good time to do it is a good idea. I, I like to study very early in the morning. I like to study before Mm -hmm. the sun comes up. Some people like to study late at night. Some people don't, it doesn't matter to them what time. They just, you know, find time whenever. Um, I like to do it early in the morning because it minimizes distractions and I can focus and concentrate. And then I, I like to pray before I study. And I like to do that for the same reason a farmer turns the ground over before he puts the seed in before the farmer drops the wheat or the corn or the barley or whatever seed it is, he'll take a plow and he'll plow the earth and he'll turn it over. And in the Bible, they called that breaking up the fallow ground. Fallow ground was hard pan, hard packed ground, ground that had the rain had dried, the sun had baked it. um, It had grown into a crust. And when you turn it over, it opens up what they call the loam or the softness of the earth and the seed can penetrate. Well, if I try to read the Bible before I pray, I find that the seed is just falling on hard ground. And so I like to go into the prayer room and ask God to turn me over, turn me upside down, inside out, speak to my heart. And and God in that prayer room will, will plow up my heart, my emotions, my thoughts. And when I sit down to read after that, the Bible comes alive in a way that nothing else could. Mm-hmm. And I strongly encourage people to pray before they read the Bible. 
then, you know, things will go over your head. But the more you read, the more you'll start making connections. I got a Strong's exhaustive concordance. And if I didn't know what a word was, I'd look it up. I'd look it up in the dictionary. I'd look it up in Strong's. So I could spend 20 minutes on one verse looking up the words in it and getting the sense of what it says. Another good way of learning what the Bible is saying is to get a comparative study Bible. Or nowadays, you just open up your laptop and go to a website like BibleHub.com or something like that. I like BibleHub.com. Two versions I like to use. I like to use the NET version, N-E-T, the NET. And I like to put it next to the King James version. So a comparative study Bible is when you have more than one translation open at the same time and you can compare the two. So it's called comparative study. Um, And if there's something that's kind of odd looking in the King James, I'll look over at the net and the net has a very clear modern, but yet it's faithfully rendered uh, version. And Mm -hmm. so it helps clear up a lot of that old English and it helps with understanding. And then I'll, I'll go even further. I, I can also pull up the Hebrew and Greek meaning in BibleHub.com. Used to, I used to use a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, but now I just use the web because it's all right there at the you know, click of a button. And you can learn a lot that way. Um, another thing I try to tell young men and young ladies who are learning and growing in their knowledge is learn what etymology is. Do you know what etymology is? Um, I believe so. I'm not exactly sure. So I'm not going to say because I don't want to say the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, etymology is the study of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew roots. And the English language is comprised of, of ancient languages. You know, our language comes from other languages. Mm -hmm. And so when you are learning a word, you can look it up in the, dic- the dictionary and read the definition, and you can find the modern usage of the word. But there will also be what's called an etymological definition. And it's where the word came from. And I, I can give you an example of that. Um, you know the word evangelist? Yes. Okay. The modern definition of an evangelist is somebody who comes to a church and preaches a message. You have a good service. Maybe people get prayed through to the Holy Ghost or the church gets renewed. And it's kind of like a guest speaker. That's kind of how people view evangelists today. And they travel. They travel and preach. And that's a common definition. Well, the original definition, the etymological definition, comes from two words. It comes from what is called a prefix and a root. A prefix, Mm -hmm. the prefix to evangelist is EV. And it's the same word that is in, uh, it's also written EU as well. EU and EV both mean the same thing. And it means good. So if someone gives a eulogy at a funeral, it, it means a good word. 
and mm -hmm. EU and EV are the same prefix. And the middle of it, or what they call the root of it, is angel. Like, you know, like an angel, a winged creature, mm -hmm. <laughs> a heavenly being. Mm -hmm. So ev angel ist literally means a good messenger. Angel means messenger. So an evangelist is a good messenger. And so there's mm -hmm. an etymological meaning. And the word angel is tucked away in that word evangelist. And a lot of people don't know that. So when I see those words, all of those possibilities jump off the page at me. I, I break them down in the Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. And I also see them from an English perspective. And it helps me to understand how how the Bible is put together and how to preach. If I evangelize an area, I am bringing a good message to that area. So that's an example of how it works. That's very interesting. I like the, I love breaking down, especially when preachers talk about the meanings of words. Uh, it's always fascinates me and something that I want to delve deeper into. Um, and hopefully I will understand words one day like that. That's very, very interesting. I'm glad you covered it that way. Um, uh, do you have any more to cover on as far as studying goes and words and studying the words of scripture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that a long time. If you read enough, a lot of the reading is just getting the basic information into your mind. You know, you, you can't preach something that you don't have. So mm -hmm. you got to have it first. So a, a big part of it is just getting it in your mind and growing familiar with it. That's huge. I would probably also say to a young man or young lady that was beginning to speak, I would say, be happy and be content with starting small. Preach what you know. Preach the basic things of the Word of God. Those are good things to preach. You don't have mm -hmm. to wow anybody. You don't have to surprise anybody or shock anybody or have some big thing. That's not what preaching is about. Preaching is about edification, evangelism. It's about strengthening and renewing. And so if you know Acts 2.38... Get up and preach Acts 2.38. If you know the oneness of God, get up and preach the oneness of God and use those scriptures that you've heard your whole life. And, and don't be afraid to boldly stand on what you already know and are confident in. So there's that. And then I would probably encourage. I would encourage somebody that was beginning this kind of a, a journey. I would tell them to learn to see Jesus in the Old Testament. That's a big, big thing. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament is full of shadows and types and foreshadowings and likenesses of Jesus. And so learn what the Bible themes are. For example, whenever you see a lamb in the Bible, it is 
always referencing Jesus. If you can see mm -hmm. Abel sacrificing the lamb in Genesis chapter 4, and the blood of the lamb being offered on the altar, well, that's Jesus. That is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And if you can see that and learn to preach that and learn to speak that, uh, it will help your preaching immensely. If you see the ram caught in the thicket at the top of um, Mount Moriah when Abraham offers Isaac, and the ram takes the place of Isaac, and the blood of that ram, which is the blood of the lamb, when it is shed on the altar, that is a powerful illustration of Calvary. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even the father offering up the only begotten son, Isaac, and then the ram being the substitute and the blood of the lamb redeeming him. All of those are themes and central ideas about Calvary, about Jesus. Learn to see that. So whenever I read the lamb, in the Old Testament, I immediately think Jesus, and I start mm -hmm. interpreting it through the lens of Jesus. Whenever I see the Father in the Old Testament, I immediately think of God the Father. Whenever I see a son, I immediately start thinking of the man Christ Jesus. Um, whenever I see a sword, the subject of the sword in the Old Testament, immediately I go to the Word of God because it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And in Revelation, he comes with a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. So the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says, which is the Word of God. So whenever I see a sword, whenever I see David with a sword, or I see um, Eleazar with a sword, I immediately think of, of the word of God. And a person with a sword fighting is, is a very powerful image of somebody using the Bible to overcome the enemy and the adversary. Mm -hmm. So I use a lot of Bible themes in the Old Testament to preach New Testament themes. So if you can find Jesus in the Old Testament, find New Testament principles in the Old Testament, I strongly encourage young people to begin to do that. That's very interesting. Uh, I've, I've heard people view talk about you know, foreshadowing and things, but the way you put it there is kind of showed me how to look at it differently. That's very, very interesting. Um, as far as studying goes, I wanted to ask you one more question about that. And yeah. that is, um, how do you pick what, like back when you said you did three chapters, five chapters a day, mm -hmm. what chapters did you pick to read? Uh, some people will open a Bible app and it says <clears throat> the daily chapter is, is such and such. So how did you pick which ones or were they random or were they all tied together? How did you pick which ones to open up and read? Uh, sometimes I just opened up depending on the day, but usually I read the Bible through several times during a year. I had an old preacher tell me one time, he said, if you really want to know what the Bible says, read the Old Testament through 400 times, read the Old Testament through 100 times, and write it through by hand one time. And when you've done that, you will know the Bible. Wow. And that always resonated with me. And so I set out to read it through over and over and over and over and over again. So I would read two chapters in the New Testament and one chapter in the Old. 
two chapters in the new, one chapter in the old. So I'd, I'd go to Acts 1, and I'd read Acts 1 and 2, and then I would read Deuteronomy 1, and that would be my reading for the day. Or sometimes I would have a lot of time, and I, I really got immersed in it, and I would read seven chapters. I'd go from Acts 3 to, to Acts 9 or 10, and then I'd read 3 in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 2, to 2 3, and 4. And I'd read 10 chapters that day. And I would break it down. I, I wanted to read some in the new, some in the old. And later on, I then got to where I'd read two or three in the new. I'd read one or two in the old. And then I'd read one in the Psalms, one in the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, or Job, just because I enjoyed that. So um, that's kind of how I view it. And that, that's the, that was my method. It still is my method. Something else that I do while I'm doing that, I keep a journal next to me. And any thoughts that come to my mind while I'm reading like that, I write them down. Because I believe, more than believe, I know that is God speaking to me. Mm -hmm. As my mind is conformed to his word, God begins to quicken my mind. He begins to bring thoughts to me. and He begins to bring suggestions to me. And I, I write them down so I don't lose them. Uh, when I was young, I would get a thought and I would say, oh, I'll write that down later. That's a good thought. And inevitably, I would find out that I'd forget it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Jesus said that when the seed falls on, on the wayside, the birds of the air, the fowls of the air come and devour it. So I believe the devil comes and takes those thoughts. <laughs> uh, so mm -hmm. I, I write them down so I capture them and before I can lose them, before Satan can take them. And so I have books. I have volumes of journals with old ideas and old thoughts. And, you know, I'd read a verse. I didn't know what it mean. And I would, I would write a question. What does this mean? And question mark. And I'd come back later and look it up when I was going through my journal. And I find that I can keep track of what I'm saying. I can capture the thoughts and I can, I can order my thoughts into messages and Bible studies and things of that nature. Wow. I've definitely experienced that forgetting something, thinking that it was great enough that I wouldn't forget. But oh, yeah. sadly, that's happened too many times. <laughs> too many times. I even keep a journal by my bed so that if God gives me a dream, I wake up, I'll write it down immediately. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very good practice I've heard yeah. you say now, and I've heard many people say it's very, very, um, a very good practice to use. So I wanted to touch on pastoring real quick, and then we could have an open mic discussion after that. Um, I wanted to touch on your pastoring. Um, when, what, when, why, and how uh, did God lead you to pastoring in Durham, where you are now? Well, boy, that's a big question. I'm not sure how God did it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I evangelized for several years after pastoring in Florida for 15 years, and I, I did missionary work in Central America. And then uh, a friend of mine asked me if I would come take his church in South Haven, Mississippi. And I assumed that when I did that, I would be there the rest of my life. Um, well, while I was there, the, the, the brother that pastored in Durham, his name is Johnny Godare, Bishop Godare. He's an icon in Pentecost, a powerful, powerful man mm -hmm. of God. He and I were dear friends. And he was getting older, and one day, out of the clear blue nowhere, he shocked the fire out of me 
He called me up and said, Brother Urshan, I believe God has called me to ask you, will you pastor in Durham, North Carolina? I knew the Durham church. It's a wonderful church. It's a powerful, powerful church. And I always had a burden for it. And I, I, it really shocked me because I, I thought that I would be in South Haven for my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, but God spoke to Brother Godier, and I asked him for a couple days to pray about it. And I did. I took, I took two days to pray, and I counseled with some of my elders, and, and I felt good about it. I felt right about it. So I called him back, and I said, you know, Bishop, I, I think it is the will of God. And ultimately, it boiled down to God speaking to him, God speaking to me. And man, it's just, I've been here for about a year and a half now, and it's been amazing. It's an amazing church. It's, a, it's an amazing part of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's considered the South, but it's like the northern part of the South. It's about two hours from the ocean, about three hours from the mountains. And you can access a lot of places uh, in the in the south and in the northeast. So it's just an ideal place, a wonderful place. And my family and I are very happy, and we're we're, we're thankful that God did call us here. As to the details of how it happened, I'm and I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, I'm sure that everyone there is very thankful, and I'm, I've seen a little bit of what you've done and. It's very, very impressive, and I'm glad um, people like you are willing to listen to God's Word and do what they're supposed to do. That's how great things happen is by being in His will. What mm -hmm. really is. Um, so I wanted to—one more thing on that. I wanted to uh, talk about what was something—this is more of a lighthearted subject, or, or maybe it won't be— um, but what was something that you did not expect when you started pastoring? What was something that you— um, most pastors don't prepare for, or what maybe what's something that you just didn't expect to come about and it happened to be, and now you've you've learned from that. Hmm. Let me think about that for a second. And when you say when pastoring, you mean not just Durham, you mean just pastoring in general. In in general, yes. <clears throat> I think sometimes people think pastors have all the answers. And they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, many times pastoring involves helping people being everything to everybody. A pastor oftentimes, in addition to praying and studying the Word of God and preparing and preaching and ministering, they've got to do a little plumbing, they've got to do a little carpentry, they've got to do, they've got to be able to you know, leave working and sweeping the floor at the church and, and throw on a suit and go do a funeral in the middle of the morning. And, and then when they get done with that, they got to put their work clothes back on and go back out and, and keep on working and get things done and build things. And then that evening, they might go and teach a Bible study that night or have, have church that night. So the <laughs> you're literally just taking it as it comes and you're you're being the man of God for the people of that local assembly. 
Mm-hmm. And it's 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 men who are doing the best they can with the tools that they have. It can be very discouraging if you don't understand who you are in God. It can be very lonely. You're the first to get criticized and the last to be thanked oftentimes. Um, so I think people assume that pastors just know stuff. And oftentimes they're just going to a prayer room and they're saying, all right, God, I need your help. Let me, what, what does your word say about this? Or they'll, they'll call an elder in their life or, or a, a wise counselor in their life. And they'll talk to them and say, you know, have you been through this before? I, I'm dealing with something I've never dealt with. And so, um, you know, they're humans. They get discouraged. They have good days. They have bad days. Um, people criticize them. People love them. They get sad. So the humanity of the office is probably something that, you know, I always saw my grandfather and my father as these powerful, powerful, iconic people. Um, you know, they were just humans trying to get through, doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people sometimes forget that, especially new people don't realize the weight that the position holds and that in what they do. They don't, they're, they're not just preachers on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever you're, if you have a midweek service, but they're not just preachers on Sunday mornings. They, they're, there's a, a lot more behind the job that some people don't realize or see. And I feel like if you ever break into that ministry that you have to know that there's a lot more, like you just mentioned. Um, Very true. As for the closing, um, I just kind of wanted to have an open mic this can be anything regardless of the prompts I've said or I've mentioned. Um, uh, if you want to cover, you can cover anything, doctrine if you want. You can cover study tools like we've mentioned or this is, like I said, this is a podcast for young ministers. You can talk to young ministers that want to break into their field of ministry and help them out. Anything that you want to cover, you can go ahead and cover um, and we can have an open mic and discuss those topics that you'll bring up. Okay. I would tell young preachers, you know, when you're learning to preach, go to the elders and and hear them. Some of the greatest messages I ever heard preached were preached by men in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And you could go back in the 50s and 60s if you can get your hands on them. And there was there were powerful, powerful men of God that preached life-altering, formative messages. Um, now with YouTube, you know, you can access it or, or podcasts or uh, sites where you can download classic messages. Um, and here's an example of one. I, I encourage young men to go listen to J.T. Pugh preach. Um, listen to James Kilgore preach. Listen to N.A. Urshan preach. Listen to Charles Glass Listen to Anthony Mangan. Listen to Randy Keyes, Larry Booker. Um, th- these are iconic men who who preached messages that that were so formative. Even even in the PAW, you can hear wonderful, wonderful preachers. Preachers like uh, Morris Golder, um, James Tyson, James Johnson, Bishop James Johnson. You can hear him on YouTube. Apostolic men, full of the Holy Ghost, powerful preachers. There's one message that JT, JTP was probably one of the biggest influences on my life. 
his style of ministry was so profound to me. He helped me so much. Um, he preached a message called your first night in hell. You ever hear that? No, not at all, actually. Hmm. I have heard the closest thing I've heard to it was way back in the colonial days during uh, the awakening. And they were in uh, the preacher was talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that's what I first thought, thought about when you said that. But I don't think I've heard that specific one. I think that was Jonathan Edwards, wasn't it? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. I want to say it was. Uh, he, J.T. Pugh, preached a message called Your First Night in Hell. And he was at a youth camp. This would have probably been in the 60s. Right? And he was dealing with carnal young people who were very worldly. They were not they were not sensitive to the Holy Ghost. They were playing games. And he was very burdened by that. And he the Lord gave him a message to stir to them. And so he he said he was in a phone booth and making a phone call. And while he was there, he noticed a pamphlet that somebody had left on the top of the phone. And the pamphlet was a descriptive piece of literature, like a travel guide, that described your first night in Paris. And he said, it, it told you, it told me that if I go to Paris, then my first night there, what, what, what to expect? I will, well, you know, what, how will you get there? And where will you stay when you get there? And what, it, what, what the food will look like and who you will meet there. What mode of transportation will you use to get around? And what are some of the sights that you'll see your first night in Paris? And he said, but tonight I'm preaching to young men and young ladies who will not submit to the will of God. You think you know everything. You will not humble yourselves. So most of you are, since you will go to hell before you go to Paris, I'm going to preach your first night in hell. What to expect when you get there? How will you get there? Who will you see there? And he <laughs> preached one of the most unbelievable messages. And I remember as a young man, I, I was transfixed. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And it shook me to my core. And halfway through the message, you heard like this buzzing sound that was drowning out his preaching. I thought it was an old tape and kind of bad audio. And I thought, oh no, that's the audio's bad. And it's probably going to get louder and louder. And it was only after it had gone on for a little while that I realized it was the roar of the people crying out to God. Wow. And so just those kinds of you know, momentous messages that were formative and impacting, I grew up with that. So I encourage young men to go back and listen to those men. They had a grasp on the things of God. They had a walk with God that was unparalleled. And that was probably the golden age of preaching. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were statesmen. They were orators. They had a command and a grasp of the language. They were so gifted in how they presented it. And so 
both my brother Joel and myself, we both grew up on that kind of preaching. And I encourage people, young men in particular, to to go back and and to listen into those those elder statesmen. One hundred percent. I feel like um, one thing that I've noticed. Uh, don't want to detract from what you said, but I remember uh, I, I, uh, some people uh, will get into the ministry and they'll they think they need to be animated and and everything. Uh, they gotta be loud and yell and stuff. And I remember seeing some messages from Billy Cole, and he doesn't move from behind the pulpit. And it's one of the it's some of the best sermons you'll hear uh, in older orators and things that just know how knew the word, knew how to speak, and had an incredible impact. And I think some, especially me, need to learn from that and uh, implement that um, into their ministry. It's a very very good. No doubt. Good point. No doubt. Well, you like you saying, like you're saying, um, when when a young man is lifting up his voice, he's preaching, he's loud, he is um, excited. They think that's preaching, and and it is. That is a part of preaching. But sometimes they just they're going a thousand miles an hour, and they don't know. They don't realize that there's also power in the pause. There's power in silence. Mm-hmm. And so a, a veteran preacher understands that. So what they will do is they will use silence to emphasize just as much as raising their voice. And if you think of a piece of sheet music, a, a, there'll be notes on the bar of the sheet music. Notes going up, notes coming down. Some of those notes, they're music notes, they're quarter notes, they're eighth notes, sixteenth notes, whole notes, half notes. But there's also rests on that sheet music mm-hmm. where nothing is played, where there's a pause. And that pause, that rest, has just as much value as that note does. It's as just it's just as much a part of the song as the note is. The pause provides emphasis. The pause gives, it gives people an opportunity to allow that point to sink in. Mm-hmm. And you ever read in Psalms where, you know, it'll say, you know, God is great. He, he rides upon the clouds. There is no God like unto our God. And then it'll say, Selah. Mm-hmm. Selah is a pause. The, the psalm is a song, and it means pause here. Don't say anything at this point. Think of what was just said. And so when, when a young man is preaching, they'll, they, they assume you're supposed to holler, you're supposed to lift up your voice, you're supposed to get animated and excited. But I would tell young men, yes, that is true. But understand, too, the power of the pause. Understand how to highlight what you're saying by slowing down. Articulate your words clearly and and learn how to pause just like you know how to lift up your voice. Definitely. I've I've played, and if anyone else listening has played from traditional sheet music, you can be very, very talented and have quick hands, but sometimes some of the hardest things to play when you're playing or sight reading from a traditional piece of music is the rest. Uh, you expect to keep flowing and keep going, and sometimes it'll throw you off. And surprisingly... 
not playing is sometimes the hardest thing to play. And I think you <laughs> demonstrated that there very, very well. well um, I've had that issue That's many, well many times. Said, yeah. um, well, I wanted to end on, or actually, do you have anything else to say before uh, we end on a lighter note? Man, I think that's it. That's all I got for today. Well, I wanted to thank you for talking about all of that. That was very, very incredible and eye-opening. Uh, I can implement everything you've said so far. Um, lately, I've been implementing, hopefully some of the listeners have heard, I've been implementing a lighter note to end your day. If you're listening to this in the morning or in your car, before you get out of the car, just a lighter note. Um, I wanted to see, talk about real quick, if you have one or two funny church memories or church services that you remember I've had, I've heard stories we've discussed on here, people in conferences and running the aisles and slipping and completely wiping out and destroying new suits and stuff. And <laughs> wanted to see in your years of experience, if you've, if you have any funny memories or experiences to share with all of us listening. Oh man, uh, there's probably too many to to fit them all in. Um, I remember one. I um, when I was very young, we we did not have enough money to buy a baptismal tank in our church. We were home missions, and we didn't have the money for it. So I baptized people in the Gulf of Mexico, mm -hmm. and um, I I took a guy out to baptize him. And I was from Indiana. I didn't know how the ocean worked. You know, where I come, there's ponds and lakes and rivers and streams, but I didn't know what an o the ocean was all about. I just knew there were waves and there was a beach. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. no, but ocean has tide, it has a tide. There's low tide and high tide. And in low tide, the water goes out. And in high tide, the water comes in, it's deeper. And, um, Anyway, it was low tide. I was baptizing this guy, and so I walked him out there, thinking I was going to baptize him in the in the in the ocean. Well, we kept walking and walking and walking, and the water was so low and the tide was out that we walked like half a mile, and it was still only to the middle of our calves. Wow! And so I thought, wow, man, we're we're way out here. <laughs> so I said, you know what? Let's just make it work. We'll we'll make it work. So I had him sit down in the ocean and. I said, okay, I'm just going to take you back and then bring you right back up. And, you know, your body will be submerged. And there's enough water here, I think, to cover you up. So I, I get him out there. And I still remember his name. His name was Chris. Um, I said, Chris, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all your sins. And I took him backwards and I baptized him. And his nose did not go under. So I brought him back up and he comes up, you know, spluttering and splashing and he's like praise god thank god thank you lord and i'm like um we gotta do it again chris wow. <laughs> he's like what, what do you mean and he's i said well you didn't go all the way under he said yeah i did i said no you didn't your nose didn't go under and he said well you think i gotta be you gotta redo it because my nose didn't go under and i looked at him i didn't know what to say i just knew you had to be fully immersed in jesus name i said well chris do you I mean, do you want your nose to go to hell? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, what do you say? So, and so I, I said, turn your head sideways. <laughs> I'm <baptized him. laughs> and, yeah, so we got him all the way under. So that was my big, my, that was my first baptism in, in Florida. So that was kind of crazy. Wow. I think that should be listed under uh, things pastors should know when they're 
uh, when they take up the the, the ministry, <laughs> yeah, like we were yeah. discussing earlier. They didn't teach me that when I was coming up. I just had to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't the handbook. Wow, that was very, very... Uh, that's very unique. I haven't heard anything like that. It's very, very funny. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, I wanted to go ahead and thank you for coming on. It's been a huge honor. Uh, I can implement everything, like you said, uh, into my ministry and what I'm doing. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been incredible, and I hope that everyone that has came has learned. And I thank you for listening, and I thank you for coming, Brother Urshan. Uh, before we close and sign off, do you have anything you want to say? You know, I don't. I, I've enjoyed being with you here. Um, thank you for having me on. I hope this can help somebody. I hope it can be a blessing to you guys. And I pray for your podcast, man. This is a needed thing. People need to hear clear, articulate voices that 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 have a positive message and, and resonate with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'll be praying for you, and I will believe in God for great things as you go forward. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Um, anyways, until we are on the air next time, thank you so much, everyone that came and listened, and thank you, Brother Urshan, for being here. Okay, God bless. God bless.